music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to a heat check episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Fred, who is going to fall under Wendy's surge pricing. Moreland, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. This show is still going to be free, but Fred's going to be expensive, so make sure you check out his Patreon. Linked in the show notes. I'm not even sure that's active right now. Uh, I think I tried to set it to not active. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, how are you doing? Good, man. Good, um, good. We may be getting another dog. Odie is staring at me like I'm literally giving him Chinese water torture because I won't pick up his ball and throw it. Alas. And, yeah, it's uh, NFL Combine Week, and my wife flew to Mexico this morning. So I am home alone, eating copious amounts of junk food, petting my dog, and doing a lot of football stuff. And it's... Oh, well, I just, literally just got a text from my wife. They just landed in Mexico. Hey. I know. Cool, cool. Well, okay, Odie. Before we get into uh, the heat check, there are a couple of news notes that we're going to run over. And this is going to be a quicker show because uh, this is a busy week for my work. So uh, I'm going to squeeze this in while I can. Uh, let's go from a uh, you know, lighter story to a uh, heavier story. Uh, first of all... Um, Kiara Hogan was pulled from collision due to an unspecified illness. Uh, hopefully she is doing well now. Uh, she was replaced, replaced, I should say, by Lady Frost in her match against uh, Serena Deeb. Um, Soraya's brother, Zack Knight, Zodiac Zack Knight, has uh, signed with AEW. Uh, he was introduced in a uh, segment backstage with Soraya, of course, Harley Cameron, and... Renee, where uh, Soraya says she was going to set up Ruby Soho with uh, with uh, Zach before uh, she uh, Soho went off with Angelou Parker. So I guess we're going to have ourselves a little love triangle angle uh, to introduce him. Uh, so, hooray. Here's uh, what I think is the biggest story. And this just came out um, like an hour ago from PW Insider. But basically... Um, the work visas for the United States for nearly 20 CMLL stars uh, are in the process of being canceled by the United States government. So here's Whoa! this. Yeah, here's this list. Uh, and uh, you're going to get to hear my uh, pathetic uh, Duolingo Spanish here. Um, 
Bolador Jr., Hechicero, Mascara Dorada, Blue Panther, uh, Dolce Gardenia, El Sagrado, El Suicida, Electrico, Espiritu Negro, uh, Euphoria, Fugaz, uh, Hemelio, Diablo Uno and Dos, uh, Magico, uh, Robin, Sangre Imperial, Soberano, Templario, and the referee Sagaz. Uh, they're all going to uh, apparently fall under this. Um, so this is basically a situation, according to PW Insider, uh, there's a Texas indie called Full Blown Pro Wrestling uh, that had essentially sponsored the group visas for CML talents. Um, they they had butted heads with CML management over the course of the visa process. Apparently, uh, Salvador Luteroth had placed other employees, this is from PW Insider, uh, quote, one of whom was heading up the legal department for CML, but since has left the promotion in charge of the visa process on CMLL's end. So uh, the Department of Homeland Security contacted the promoter of full-blown pro wrestling, Jerry Cardinia, or Cardinia, uh, with questions about the visas and was told that he could be accused of fraud if the visas were flagged due to the issue. Um, uh, PW Insider says the story they were told is that Cardinia then co- contacted the CMLL about working together to iron out the problem. The CML side claimed they would take care of the issue via the United States Embassy in Mexico and wouldn't respond beyond that statement. Uh, Insider adds that the Department of Homeland Security and not the embassy for a specific country actually issues work visas. Um, the belief on the CML side is apparently that they would be able to handle it as a family member works for the embassy. Uh, maybe they can get Prince <sighs> Nanan Prince Nana here. Um, so apparently CML is no longer communicating with Kadena, but his name is still on the line uh, legally. Uh, so then he told uh, Kadena told the U.S. government that uh, he no longer had any intentions of working with CML going forward and that any agreements he signed to work with their talents was being terminated as of Today, February twenty eighth. Uh, well, so, yeah, you can uh, hear Odie in the background. He is very upset. So this obviously would impact them appearing in the in the United States, uh, New Japan shows, of course, or AEW. Um, PW Insider also knows that unless uh, there's some sort of resolution or someone spends a lot of money to get the new visas in place, while uh, hoping they will be done in time for those big shows here in the spring. Um, Tony Khan has a lot of money. I've heard that. Uh, Listen, if if there's ever a millionaire that's going to spend a bunch of money on luchadors to wrestle in Minnesota or in the United States of America, your dog, yeah, Odie, Odie (laughs) is so upset about the these visas. He is being very vocal. Honestly, he just wants the ball that rolled under the couch, and he's just being a little turd. But Tony Khan would be the one to do it. He'd do it for New Japan. He'd do it for CMLL. All right, you're gonna have to take over. Oh I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to throw my my dog. Not literally, please. Don't I throw the my dog. dog. Throw the ball. The dog wants the ball. No, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to throw Odie in the pen. God, this what a is podcast just, we do. What a show. We are so back. We're we're pros. We're just on top of this. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess I'm riding solo for the moment. Um, yeah, this is uh this is a messy situation, obviously. Um and uh yeah, uh it's unfortunate. Um hopefully they get it resolved because those guys are all great performers and I like being able to see them as much as I can. So uh bring them into the United States, uh legally, please. Um I do have uh, to ask, 
uh, in your list. I did not hear Mystico. Is that correct? Uh, guessing, I didn't see his. I didn't see his name on their list. I'm uh, guessing no. that means that his is likely sponsored by MLW. Maybe it could be. Um, maybe he has. Maybe he got citizenship while he was with the WWE. I mean, I don't know that. Um, I uh, let's see if I can find that out. You know, tough enough to start off with. Which Mystico am I going to get on the Wikipedia's? I don't see anything on there about gaining citizenship real quick uh, in, a, in a quick search. Sorry. But uh, maybe he's got a different deal. Um, but it, he, it is an auspicious um, omission. Now, one thing uh, that I saw, um, and let me double check this, is that uh, Griff, Griffin Peltier uh, did say that CML guys should be able to work shows in Canada without a visa. So maybe for the Canadian uh, tour, you know, we'll have uh, the CML guys able to make it. Um, but yeah, um, boy, that's a mess. Uh, and visas, I think if I if I have my timetable correct, I think it's ever been ever it's been ever since the Trump administration that it is a uh, a slower process to get a work visa in the United States. And I want to say that if you have a pre existing visa it's going to be significantly easier for you to get another visa okay. because there's something to work with as Odie now wants to go outside. What a hell of a podcast we do. So I'm hoping that if Tony Khan does choose to step in, it'll be quick and painless. Hopefully. Uh, it'd be nice. Uh, we are reaching shutdown full cast levels of uh, bad audio here. Um, God bless. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously this, we could see like the BCC versus CML feud just, killed off uh instantly by this which would be a damn shame because that's been really fun i think and uh you know ideally that would not be the case but maybe uh maybe, i i don't know frankly the entirety of like how this works as a process uh maybe all it needs to happen is tony khan to be rich and make a phone call i guess we'll see um other than that um Darby Allen also has, uh, just as a brief note, uh, did a little thing with the Players' Tribune about Sting, which was a nice, uh, really nice write-up about uh, working with Sting and how Sting's retirement is coming. And, uh, you know, just really a lovely little piece of writing. Um, and uh, I think it was just incredibly touching. And uh, we'll talk about, once Tyler's back from taking care of his needy dog, uh, we'll talk about the forthcoming retirement of Sting as we get to uh, Revolution. Uh, since I'm vamping for time at this point, I guess I will go through some announcements for tonight's Dynamite. It is February 28th because I have to do a lot of work this week. It's a bad week for old Fredo. Um, but tonight we will have, uh, among other things, uh, we'll have Hangman Page uh, on Dynamite to announce his status for the Revolution uh, three-way main event. Uh, which one presumes he will still be in. We'll get Sting's final appearance on Dynamite. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Tyler's back. I mentioned the Players' Tribune piece that Darby wrote that is a nice little tribute to Sting. I need to and read that because apparently it's phenomenal. It is very good. Uh, you should read it. Everyone should read it. Um, Sting is making his final uh, Dynamite appearance uh, tonight. Uh, before his retirement, we got Hangman Page, as I mentioned, uh, making his announcement. We have uh, an appearance by Will Ospreay, who has apparently had two bags lost by Delta, uh, according to Twitter. 
And then we have one match announced for tonight. Um, the Blackpool Combat Club, Brian Danielson, Jonathan Moxley, and Claudio Castanoli against Eddie Kingston and FTR, which is a match that should rip. Hold on. There's another match. You have buried oh, the lead, Fred. Atlantis Jr. versus Lionheart Chris Jericho. Oh, that, that is right. I forgot about that. That's How dare not, you? I'm a, a terrible person, a podcast co-host. L- um, listen, you said it, not this. me, but uh, I, I, can't, I can't correct you on that. It, yeah. Atlantis Jr. versus Lionheart. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, especially because Jericho teamed with Atlantis uh, back in the 90s, right? What Before was he, Ponce de Leon? Is um, that right? No, he was a Corazon. Corazon de Leon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because Ponce de Leon was an actual person. Yeah, he was um, an explorer, but like I knew the de Leon was right. Yeah. I somebody mentioned this, I believe it was in the the office Slack. Are we getting like Atlantis versus Jericho in like Arena Mexico? That would be amazing, would it not? <laughs> Would they? Would that be big enough for the anniversary show, considering I, Jericho's worldwide presence and history with the promotion? Uh, you'd have to think so. Uh, a couple other notes, actually, uh, because I've neglected them from my earlier list. Uh, first of all, Riho is returning on Rampage this week. She's going to be facing Trisha Dora, which could be a fun match if they get any time at all. Um, and also, um, should be noted that since he's made at least one appearance on AEW, and I think it was only one, uh, Virgil, uh, aka Vincent, uh, aka Michael Jones, uh, passed away, uh, I believe this morning. Um, uh, you know, best known for his run with uh, Ted DiBiase and WWF in the late 80s and 90s, and then for becoming kind of a meme, uh, with his uh, autograph table and everything. Um, you know. Uh, he uh, was diagnosed with dementia back in 2022 and suffered two massive strokes. Um, yeah, uh, rest in peace. Um, sad news. All right. Um, I think that's it before the heat check. I will say, Riho has the best job in the world. She can just pop in and wrestle whenever <laughs> the hell she wants. Like, I, I do wish she was used more. I like her a lot. I know some people are down on her because of her size. I don't care. She's awesome. So what do I yeah. care about? I think she's she's a she'd be a very valuable asset to this roster, especially because she brings such a unique element, being that she's so slender and so skinny, and so mm-hmm. small. She, that... She's naturally charismatic, though. I mean, she's, she's a natural oh, yeah. baby face. I, I mean, I was getting to that, but there's just so many elements about her that make her like she is the plucky underdog babyface, and this division really doesn't have one right now. Yeah. So, I like her addition to what this women's roster is, and let's be real here: this women's roster is getting really good. It's, I mean, it's not phenomenal, it's not great, but it's getting really good, and it's theoretically going to get significantly better with yeah. the addition of Jamie Hader when she comes back, and the Mercedes Monet at Big Business in two weeks. So. We're looking at a much, much improved division, and I'm very excited about it. I um, I do want to uh, make a real quick note um, that, you know, I, I think they're getting the pieces together for the women's division to be good. It's a matter of them actually booking it to be good, which has been one of the biggest weak points of uh, Tony Khan's entire AEW run. 
is the women's division and how it's treated. So uh, hopefully with better talent, it will get treated better. I mean, you'd be a fool to pay Mercedes Monet what she wants, bring her in and then just not push her, you know, not treat her like a big deal. Um, hopefully that's not what happens, but yeah. Um, this, this could be, it could be a, a very, uh, very good, women's division by the end of the year if treated correctly because you know on top of all that uh we have tony storm kind of getting her gimmick together and like i think being markedly improved within it over the past month or so um i think that um you know we've got uh anna j i mean not anna j i apologize julia hart showing signs of improvement and everything diana Parazzo has acquitted herself well so far uh, you know, fingers crossed moving forward. We'll see what happens. But let's get into the heat check, man. Heat check, heat check, heat check. For those unfamiliar, the heat check is whenever we have a uh, AEW pay-per-view coming up, we uh, sit down, we go over the card as announced, um, and uh, we give each match a 1 to 10 rating about how excited we are. One is we're closing the blinds and shutting the window and not going to watch it, essentially, or, you know, would rather really rather not since we do do a show about this. Uh, and a 10 is uh, we're extremely excited for it. So we're going to go through each match, talk about it, and uh, go from there. Um, this so, is the only time I let Fred take control of the show. <laughs> All right. So our first match upon the show. You you want to start with the main event first because I think we got uh, got some... I think it's really interesting to talk about, and I don't want us to like yeah. peter out. Listen, Fred, this is your show. All right. You well, get to control things four or five times a year and that's it you're full uh for doing it uh at all um also we should talk about the observer awards but we're going to do that next week because i probably don't have enough time to do a proper talk about it today um okay made of it time uh sting and darby uh, are going to be defending their aw world tag team championship in a tornado tag against the young bucks please refer to them by their christian names matthew and nicholas jackson tyler one to ten how excited are you for this it's gonna be bittersweet, man. I'm pro I'm at a full ten. This and Odie is just so sad about oh the God. fact that we are going to be missing Sting. He's he's just absolutely ejected. Your dog is out of control. He is out of control, and it's because he he knows that he's getting a brother next week. So yeah, he's he's being <laughs> just extra. Um, yeah, this is incredible podcasting. Odie, you're not getting your ball. I'm not giving it to you. No. Um, look. It's Sting's last match, and he's going to go all out. He's gone all out his entire run with this company, bleeding, getting his ass beat, jumping off of high platforms. He's done it all. And I want to see if Ric Flair's going to turn on him. I want to see what kind of shenanigans they're going to pull. I want to see what kind of people they're going to bring in from his past. And I think this has a chance to be one of the most memorable matches we've ever seen. You know Darby's going to do everything in his power to make this great. And the young bucks are gonna sell their asses off. All right. Yeah. I, I need I need to I need to throw Odie into the lake or something. This is this is brutal podcasting. Fred, oh what do you This is the greatest show we're ever gonna do? Uh I'm out of Ted as well. Um I because uh, I'm old, um I, I've been dealing with uh, midlife uh thoughts recently, which is lovely to talk about on a wrestling podcast at all. Um but yeah, uh, I grew up watching Sting. In fact, uh Tyler won't hear me say this, but I think the first memory I have of actually seeing wrestling on TV was of Sting working a WCW uh Saturday night match uh in the full like uh baby face face paint gimmick. 
uh, about 92, 93. Um, I, uh, and, you know, it's been crazy because I've gone in and out of the fandom, uh, the hobby uh, since then a few times. But every time I've come back, Sting has been involved in some way. And it's really ridiculous that this guy is still doing it when he started in the 80s. Um, you know, I uh, had a bl- brief flirtation with following it again around 2006 when TNA was starting to get on Spike. And they uh, they brought in Sting as a their big debut for that first episode on Spike, if I recall correctly. Listen to You've Got to Be Kidding Me for more details on that, because they just talked about that recently. Um you know, and then I faded away for a couple more years, and then I got back into it during the whole Brian Danielson run up to Mania 30. And who should come into WWE shortly after that? But Sting, um, this guy is seemingly always around. Um, he's always a strong performer. Um, you know, he's dare I say, got him better with age. And I think as I AEW- think Fred, one, the most impressive thing about Sting is he never changes. But he adapts so well to wherever he's at. Unlike Terry Funk, where Funk would completely change what his what his presentation was and how he wanted, to, how he knew he had to get over in different promotions. Like Attitude Era, he was Chainsaw Charlie. That, that that almost feels beneath Terry Funk, but he was so good and so adept and adept at being able to do all these things. Sting has been the Scarecrow for twenty six years, and he is gotten over everywhere he's relatively the same but it hasn't mattered it's not like the undertaker the same where he does the spooky stuff in the choke slam but like sting has just been like there's a reason they call him the icon it's just the perfect way to describe him yeah um you know and even with the gimmick change he changes he did do uh most notably with uh wcw in 97 when he became the crow and then uh tna when he was the joker uh, sting um you know it's still like there's still kind of a central thing with him uh that dog is not letting go of that toy at all um and uh i don't know man i i do think that he's done some of his best work in AEW. um it's really impressive because he's just been going all out you know whenever he is on uh up show and uh, he's 64 years old and he's you know only just recently started to kind of show his age and uh you know, even then, it's not bad. Um, I just think he's a, you know, I, I think it's easy to kind of overlook how great he is, you know, because I remember there was the big debate with his Hall of Fame induction uh, for the Observer about, you know, is he a deserving Hall of Famer? And, uh, you know. Uh, Whoa, hold on, hold on. You are more ingrained in this world than I am. What's the yeah. argument against him being a Hall of Famer? I need to hear this. <sighs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into it. Basically, there was a whole um, discussion. Now, this happened during one of my exoduses from wrestling. Um, But I believe that the main discussion was that, well, WCW died. And also, was he ever really, truly a top baby face? And was he ever a draw? Uh, Because after the big match with Hogan, which got screwed up because of referee hijinks that weren't planned, and and then bad WCW booking, you know, was he ever really a big draw? Um, was he a success as a top guy? Um, and I, Meltzer in particular, I think was pretty down on him and would often point to him as a, uh, as kind of an example of a guy just hanging around forever and not really being a top guy. And then, um, then he basically went into WWE and did one show and proved that he was a big star outside of 
WCW and TNA. And also, frankly, TNA has never meant anything to Observer voters, uh, Observer Hall voters. Um, like, no one's ever really got any credit uh, for that. AJ Styles had to go to New Japan and WWE to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Sting had to go to WWE, and then he got voted in, essentially, um, which is kind of silly, but that's how it worked. Um, and, um, you know, that was the big argument about him. Um, eventually, people did crack and put him in, but it took a while. Well... They're dumb. Like, to, to me, Sting's a first ballot kind of guy because you can't get through, like, the end of that Jim Crockett WCW run before, like, it became, like, national with uh, with Nitro and stuff. That's Sting and Ric Flair. And, yeah, you can give a lot of credit to Ric Flair, but come on. You needed Sting at a certain point. A great world champion is nothing without somebody to go against. Like, just look at the argument we're having about Roman Reigns right now and how bad some some of his world title reign has been. He's faced nobody. He's beaten everybody, and now there's nobody left. They have nobody really to face him except Cody again. And Cody was gift wrapped for them. It wasn't even that they built up a star. You need to have a foil for your world champion. And Sting was that guy. He reinvented himself completely and was the biggest act in that like 96, 97 run, arguably in the world. He, and he didn't even wrestle. He didn't even talk. He stood in the rafters and he was over beyond reason. And then you look at the TNA run and some of the things he did. Look, it's TNA. But when he got there, it felt much more legitimate. They used him, as you said, to get successful on cable they were averaging over two million viewers a show that's not nothing and especially when you look at today's market today's market's so much different than it was 20 years ago because of the advent of streaming and people honestly going outside that's that's a big factor here too like and then you look at the in-ring work in-ring work was great and I, you could call it spotty over the years but that's not due to the fault of his own that's due to the fault of match structure so, I think Sting's a slam dunk, but I, I, I just I don't get why you would think otherwise. But that's just me. Yeah, well, you know, there, it's, I think it's always a really interesting discussion as to who has or hasn't, uh, you know, hit the uh, level and um, of a Hall of Famer, you know, with regards to the Observer. And it took until 2016 for Sting to get voted in. Um, I don't have... I'm, tr I'm trying to find, uh, you know... Um, oh God, what's his face from AEW? Uh, Mookie Ghana. Um, Chris uh, Harrington, right? Uh, mm -hmm. He always had... Um, he had a good thing set up, but I can't seem to find it with a bunch of data from it, um, unfortunately. Um, I'm trying to pull up Sting here. There it is. I found an article. Uh, staying in 2010 got 20% of the vote, 2011, uh, 43%, 38% on 2012, 2013, 33, 20, uh, 2014, 33%, and then 2015, he hit 51%, and then 2016, he got voted in. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot of pushback back then, uh, due to various thoughts, you know, he wasn't a great worker, 
uh, was kind of a common one and, you know, a uh, drawing power issue as well. So I don't know, man, just, uh, just telling you what they said. Yeah, I get it. It's not, it's not your fault. I'm going to blame <laughs> you anyways, but that's, that's just kind of the thing it is. Look, this match could end up being a match of the year contender kind of match because of what people are in it, the stakes, the atmosphere in the Greensboro Coliseum is going to be incredible. And these guys, you know the Bucks are going to go absolutely apeshit oh, yeah. trying to put this and match Darby. over first thing. Darby. Darby may die. And I that's not a joke, but it's also a joke because it looks like Darby wants to kill himself every time he wrestles with how he wrestles with such a reckless abandon. He's going to do something insane in this match. And, and this is going to be a... Uh... A crazy, I think, Darby performance in particular. And then Sting's going to fall off something that's really high <laughs> that he probably should not be on. But it's Sting. Uh, you know, no one's going to tell him no, I guess. Um, Look, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. They, they know what they can and can't do and what they should and shouldn't do. And if, you know what? If Sting wants to jump off of a 20-foot scaffold onto a, a group of people, I'm going to let Sting jump off a 20-fold scaffold onto a group of people. He's earned that right. He's earned the right to be able to, hey, I want to do this. Let's make it work. Yeah. Good enough for me. It's Sting. It's not some jabroni. It's uh, like uh, we're not talking about like special delivery Jones. We're talking about Sting. He gets to do what he wants, and we make it work. Yeah. I, I And, you know, he did handpick uh, the Bucks to be his opponent. They came back earlier than planned uh, from a planned hiatus before going into this current gimmick they're doing. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I think they're going to be great opponents. Uh, the Bucks are fantastic at big matches. And, like you said, this could definitely be a match that you're a contender. And I think it's going to be one of the most memorable uh, moments of the year uh, by the year's end. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully uh, it goes well. And this is a well-deserved main event. And uh, I'm, you know, very interested in it. So. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. It, this needs to go on last. Tony Khan has... Oh, he's psychotic to not. I am struggling to remember any time a, on a, an AEW-only pay-per-view that the world title match did not go on last. Omega, the only one uh, I can think of is Omega Moxley. Lights Ome- out. Omega... Well, the lights out. There's another lights out match that I'm forgetting right now. I think... Um, Re- well, I don't know if that was a pay-per-view. You're, mm. Yeah, I think you're thinking Grand Slam, Ricky Stark's Powerhouse Hobbs. Wasn't Omega Page versus the Young Bucks a main event, too? No. Really? That's crazy. I don't um, think a tag tag match has ever main evented a pay-per-view. Let me see here. You are incorrect. Uh, technically, Fight for the Fallen in 2019 was Bucks versus uh, the Rose. That's not a pay-per-view. That was a, like what? a special. That was like a TV special. Uh, you also uh, couldn't pay for it, Fred. Double or nothing uh, was Stadium Stampede. Okay. There uh, you go. The 20- two double or nothing Stadium Stampedes. Yeah. Um, Not a tag match. I swore. Uh, double or nothing 2023 was Anarchy in the Arena. 
Forbidden Door 2023 was... Uh, I'm not counting Forbidden Door. That's not an AEW show. Oh, That's a joint show. Okay, all right. Uh, Wrestle Dream was Darby versus Christian for the AWTNT Championship. All Out 2023 was Mox versus Orange for the International Championship. Did, was the... Um, at Wrestle what? Dream, MJF didn't defend the title. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I think. I, I'm 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 trying to think of instances where a match superseded the title, and outside of gimmick matches, we don't have one. Mm. Which I, mm. and that that's why I I'm, right. I have hesitation about the Young Bucks in going against Sting and Darby actually main eventing. Because it, it look, this is a an extreme circumstance. A megastar over the course of the last forty years is retiring, but Tony Khan has never done it. So something's got to give. We're gonna find out what's gonna give. But I'm gonna proceed with caution before I name this the actual closer of the show. It absolutely has to be though. <laughs> I think it does too. But yeah, we have precedent that he's never done this before. Outside of gimmick matches, Anarchy in the Arena and Stadium Stampede, gimmick matches. There's never been <coughs> a one-on-one or a traditional tag match that has superseded the world title at an AEW-only pay-per-view. Because Forbidden Door, like that's, that's a special attraction. That is a super show. So I'm, I don't count that. Because it's just such a different environment. An AEW only show, it's never happened. That is fair. Um, well, uh, moving on, our next match, which I'm going to set up for you and then uh, step away for a second, is uh, listed on Wikipedia, is for the AEW International Championship. It is Roderick Strong against Orange Cassidy. Tyler, where are you at? I'm at an eight on this. And it, for me, it's less about... What's going to happen outside the ring? It's less about uh, the Undisputed Kingdom. What it is about for me is Roderick Strong destroying Orange Cassidy. I want to see Roderick Strong give him so many backbreakers and destroy a brutal end of heartache to win this match. And I think we could see something really, really good. I love Roderick Strong's in-ring. I don't know if he's ever a guy who's going to peak at like five stars, but he can constantly give you four-and-a-half-star bangers and just deliver an element of brutality, an element of technical prowess. Like When when I think of tech, great technical wrestling, you know, for better or worse, my mind always goes back to like Chris Benoit and like how he would just always throw those snap suplexes, the Germans, uh, and then set up the crossface and the sharpshooter. Like... To me, that's like the peak of technical wrestling. Uh, obviously, you have uh, Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr., but they're just different. And I think they're incredibly more explosive, uh, well, especially Danielson with uh, some of like the, the psycho knee and all, like some of that move set. But when, when I think of being a great like technical-esque wrestler, to me, it's, it always reverts back to Benoit, and I think some of that brutality that he showed in the ring. Because obviously we're just we're just talking about in ring. We're not talking about outside of the ring because that's a whole different story with Benoit. But he has some of that element to him. And especially with how he delivers these backbreakers and how he just tries to absolutely destroy your back, I think is he's a perfect opponent 
for Orange Cassidy because I think Cassidy can be a phenomenal foil and let Roderick Strong just destroy his back and destroy his back and fight from underneath. And I think Strong's going to beat him. I think he has to beat him. You can't have built up the Undisputed Kingdom like they have and just have Roddy lose. And I think at a certain point, Orange Cassidy needs to do something else. It's He's kind of treading water. And I also feel bad for him because they should have mega pushed him out of that loss against John Moxley. They should have let him sit out for three, four months. That was screwed up. Brought him back and pushed him to the moon. Build him up for a, a pay-per-view world title match and either strap him up or figure out what to do with him after that. But they missed the peak on Orange Cassidy. And now that you have this influx of talent coming in, uh, you just had Copeland come in. Now you're going to have Kazushko Okada likely coming in. Will Ospreay is coming in. Where's room for Orange Cassidy at the top of the card? It's gone. And that's sometimes you only have one shot to be like a world champion contender. Like Ricky Starks may never get back there. And Ricky Starks, like he was MJF's first feud and it was fantastic. Well, what's going to happen to him now? And this is, I'm not saying that you shouldn't sign Will Ospreay and Okada. Oh yeah, no, you should. You absolutely needed to. <clears throat> but sometimes your guys who are fringe top of the card guys can get lost in the shuffle and it's just an unfortunate cost of doing business. And I think that's where we're at with Orange Cassidy right now. But overall, I'm at an eight. I think this match is going to rock. Yeah, I think it'll be a good match. Uh, at a seven, maybe really a six and a half. Uh, primate, not because of two guys in it, because I think they're both very talented. I think the build has been kind of eh for the most part. Like, it hasn't been bad, but I do think the uh, the Undisputed Kingdom has felt very much like a mid-card stable, uh, as we talked about until Wardlow's promo last week, which I think really elevated him, at least. Um but I do think that like the few the build for this match in particular is just kind of there. You know, it's like, yeah, they're gonna have a match. It's not bad. It's not like we got the whole Roddy screaming with the neck brace on kind of bad, you know, go away heat kind of thing. Uh this should be a, a good match and I'm looking forward to it. I just felt that it was a little flat to build. So in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all three-in-one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security the eufy video lock is also for convenience no more concerns about losing keys and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras Some other great features we love about the eufy video lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a phillips screwdriver no drilling required keyless entry no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full you never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters you also have 0.3 second 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service. Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the UV video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with UV video lock, search UV video lock. That is E-U-F-Y video lock. Again, that's UV video lock. E-U 
FY Video Lock or visit ufiofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. All right. Um, I'll go ahead, Tyler. You want to say something? No. All right, cool. Let's go. Let's talk about the next one. The next one is uh, a supposed to be a three-way for the AEW World Championship. The challengers are Hangman and Adam Page with an asterisk there, and then Swerve Strickland uh, facing off against the champion Samoa Joe. Tyler, one, where are you with this? And two, uh, is this going to happen as planned, or is it going to be changed up? Do you think? I don't know because uh, I believe what was reported. I think it was Brian Alvarez had said that Hangman may miss the show due to a personal matter. Mm-hmm. And personal matter can mean a myriad of different things. So let's let's pump the brakes on kind of what that is. That I don't want to speculate because I, I just don't know. It could be something very serious that he just does not want to share. I mean, this company does, have a, does do a really good job of protecting their talent and keeping uh, things that need to be secret. Like nobody knew uh, Brody Lee uh, was dying until he had passed. So whatever this personal matter is for keeping it quiet and good for them. Uh, if he does wrestle, I think I'm at a nine because there's so many different directions that this can go. I think the only thing that does not happen is Swerve pins Hangman to win the title in a, in a three-way. I think Swerve can screw over Hangman mm-hmm. where Hangman hits like the buckshot on Samoa Joe and all of a sudden, uh, Swerve comes in with his stomp and stomps on the back of Hangman's like shoulders and then knocks him off and then steals the pin. I think Samoa Joe could just beat either of these guys. I also think Hangman could like low blow uh, Swerve, do the full heel turn, and win the title because he, he still hasn't beaten him. And that's a huge linchpin in the storyline. So how is he going to beat him? Chicanery shenanigans like that's perfect heel heat and it solidifies the turn that they've already been kind of laying out for us and then Samoa Joe I think he's gonna be fine he is a dude in this company if he wins the title I think you could have a great program with a guy like Okada you could have a great program with a guy like Osprey you could have a great program with anybody really on this roster and Mm -hmm. you could make it great so I don't think there's a lose situation here in a three-way match. I would prefer it to be a three-way at this point because I think if it's just Swerve versus Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe's going to win. And I think, for me, that's just going to take a little bit of intrigue out of it. So I'm out of five if it's all one-on-one. I'm at a nine if it's a three-way because of the different directions with the booking that they can go. And because so much of it makes sense within the context of how Tony Khan likes to book this promotion and how he likes to really tell long-term stories. You can go so many different directions, and I don't know. I, I just I trust these guys to be good in a three-way and make it interesting and engaging and not have it just two guys facing off and one guy sitting off to the side. I think they can do a match that just happens to have three dudes, and I'm genuinely excited about it. Still yeah. prefer a one-on-one, but I'm excited. Yeah, I think this is the cir- one of the circumstances where a uh, triple threat match or a three-way dance or whatever you want to call it, uh, how ECW you want to be, um, I think it actually works better than a singles match in this particular circumstance because these guys are uh, 
I mean, they're all great. They're set up for a uh, a wonderful. Um, yeah, I think they could have a really great match. I think they've done a good job dovetailing the Swerve Hangman feud that pre-existed into Samoa Joe's realm. Um, and I mean, these three guys are all awesome. Uh, they're all, if not at the peaks of their career, uh, among career highlights, let's say right now. And I think they could have a really great match. Um, you know, I do think, th- I think there's one finish you absolutely have to, two finishes really you have to avoid here. And you know what? I'll, I'll take it down to one because I think you can have Joe lose the title here. Um, I think that'd be, I probably wouldn't do that myself, but you could do it. And I don't think it'd be an absolute mistake. Uh, but I do think it'd be a mistake to beat Swerve clean at this point, and maybe even beat him at all. Um, so if it is just a singles match between Swerve and Samoa Joe, uh, you're really stuck in kind of a tough position from a booking uh, standpoint. AEW doesn't do, you know, bullshit finishes, typically. Like, if there's a non-finish, it's for a reason. Um, this is a circumstance where I think you'd be really hard-pressed to prove or to find a situation where a non-finish is good here. You know, whether that be a DQ or, you know, a no contest or whatever. Um, I think it'd be, I think they've done the the time limit draw a little too much recently. So I think that's probably not the best at this point in time. Um, but you're faced with either having Joe lose, and he's been a fantastic world champion since he picked it up back at the uh, end of the year. Or you have Swerve losing when he's uh, as hot as he's ever been. And is a guy that could still that you know I think is a is a star at this point, but you could it, you should really be trying to establish him. And I think that's a very um, interesting circumstance because if if there is no page, then you're going to have to find yourself a finish that uh you know accomplishes what you want, and it's it's tough. I think it's a difficult situation. Fred, this is going to be fun. I'm it very is. excited for this pay per view. I'm a nine on that one. You know what? I'm ten actually on that one uh, because I think it's it's a really, especially after some of the, the worst MJF stuff. Like this is a really intriguing situation to me, and uh, I'm I'm genuinely curious about who's going to take the win there. Uh, our next match is a singles match for the AEW Women's World Championship with the challenger Deanna Perazzo, uh facing off against the champion Timeless Tony Storm. Tyler, where are you with this one? <sighs> Seven, and I think it'd be a lot higher if they didn't start the Mariah May storyline first, because then I think you'd actually have this match result in doubt. But because of Mariah May, I don't think it's in doubt at all. And to me, that's very frustrating because I want to be super invested in this match. And I am invested, but I'm not as invested as I should be. And to me, that's the frustrating part. I think it could be significantly better, could be at a much higher rate. But, I mean, hell, man. This is this is going to be really fun to keep an eye on throughout the course of the, the night because, look, this match could be really, really, really good. Parasso peaks very high. I think she's a little inconsistent on a match-to-match level. Like, we, I've talked about, like, Britt Baker being tofu, where her performance is going to be based on who she's out with in the ring. I think Parasso is like a step above that where I think she can elevate a little bit, but she's not going to elevate a ton, but being in with the great worker like Tony, I think you could realistically, if unless the gimmick gets in the way, realistically see like a four and a quarter, four and a half star match out of these two. And to me, that's really exciting. 
and it's something the women's division outside of death matches hasn't had a lot of. There hasn't been a lot of super high-end women's matches in this company that didn't have a stipulation. So I'm really excited to see this and the direction that the women's division is currently taking because theoretically, Megan Bain should be coming in too after she just spent a bunch of time with stardom. And Mm -hmm. from everything that I know about Megan Bain, which admittedly isn't a lot, she is like, she's tall. She's got a great look. She's athletic. That's a tool set I want to work with. But I, I don't know the technical elements. I've never actually seen her work. But the idea of Megan Bain sounds very good and very interesting. And she's just spent a bunch of time in stardom with some of the best women's wrestlers in the world. Yeah. That sounds great. So I'm really intrigued to kind of see where we're at. But, yeah, it, it's I can't go higher than a 7 because I think this match is already over. Yeah, um, I'm at a. I think a seven is a good number here. I think it could be a very good match. I'm. There's a chance it's a disaster. It's low, low chance. I don't think it's a high chance, but there's a chance. Um, you know, just in case Tony Storm they get full gimmick with her, I think that would be the problem. Uh, but I think that we've moved away largely from a full gimmick Tony Storm, and uh, the Diana Prato feud has provided some grounding for her. That where she's been able to really launch herself into this gimmick within a realm that makes much more sense uh, for professional wrestling than maybe some of the earlier stuff did. Uh, I think they're both fantastic workers. I think Tony Storm, if she's not doing just playing fully into the time, timeless thing, is a great wrestler. I think Tiana Parazzo can be great. There's a chance this could be like a. I, I think it'd be tough to steal the show here or to be the best match on the card just because this is a deep card, I think. Uh, but I, I, this could, this could over deliver, uh, or just deliver where I think it should be really not even over deliver. Uh, so I'm hopeful they have a a great match. Yeah. This women's division is finally taking the shape that Tony theoretically, because I'm not in the mind of Tony Khan, the direction that he had for it initially. And I think the idea of bringing in a lot of the Joshi talent was to get a really big jump start and we know he wanted to make it like the cruiserweights in wcw this would be the only place in america where you're truly going to have genuine joshi wrestling just for a myriad of reasons it didn't work mainly due to COVID. yeah COVID did ruin that but i mean there's nothing stopping him from bringing him now so Mm -hmm. um all right next up is for the Continental Crown Championship with the added gimmick that if the challenger loses, he must shake the champion's hand. <laughs> it is Brian Danielson against Edward Kingston. Tyler. 10. 10. 10. I this, love this match year. has been so incredibly well built. It's yeah, been... 10 too as well. Oh, the, the side-eyeing up and down the ramp. Both of them on commentary. Nigel McGuinness and Eddie Kingston burying Danielson while he's wrestling is some of the best shit I've seen in wrestling in a long time. Here's my theory. I I can't remember where it was at, but it was Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho at a pay-per-view. I think it might have been at Revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, and 2011 or 2022, I think. Yeah, where Kingston just couldn't win the big one. Yeah. He could not get a pay-per-view singles win against a big-time star. And he got the win over Jericho. Jericho refused to shake his hand, and then that built up into blood and guts. Mm-hmm. So 
to me, like what that match ended up being was one of the big linchpins in the build there was respect. And Eddie Kingston offered his hand to Jericho, and Jericho said no. So now you have Kingston on the other side where he's like, no, you're going to shake my hand. And is Danielson going to? I think that's the position they're going to put him in. I think that Kingston's winning. And Danielson's going to, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to approach that. Because to me, I don't think that you can have Kingston lose in this spot. I don't think it's a situation where you can have him chase. Like, there's, there's no chase with what this story is. And you've already kind of gone away from the tortured soul, Eddie Kingston, which is fine. I don't know if I would have necessarily done that. But I think they've booked him incredibly well since then, so I can't really argue with it. I don't think you can go back to that element. I think he's got to beat Danielson. And I'm fascinated to kind of see what that this match looks like, how brutal there it's going to be. I want to see how red these guys' chests are at the end of this match. Oh, there's probably oh. going to be some bleeding chests. Oh, buddy, they could call this one Meat Madness. Except <laughs> uh, uh, I think in the words of Zack Sabre Jr., is uh, I, I think he calls him Soy Boy. Yeah. Because he's a vegetarian slash vegan. It's, yeah, it's going to be incredible. Um, 10. 10. I can't wait. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. I think this could be another f- fantastic match. If, if you told me that in a week I'd have multiple five-star matches down off this show alone, uh, I wouldn't be too surprised. You know, again, you know, maybe I'm a little generous creator. That's fine. Um, uh, but also, like, I just think this card is really deep. And let me tell you why I think it's really deep. Because our next match is a singles match between Kanosuke Takeshita and Will Ospreay. This is going to be Will's debut in AEW as a full-blown AEW guy, at least as far as a pay-per-view debut. Um, what you got on this one, Tyler? 40. <laughs> Absolutely. It. To me, this is the beginning of the end of the Callus family. And I think this is... Yeah, here, here's my long theory. I thought when you had Fletcher and Davis, Aussie Open, come into the company and they kept out the United Empire thing, that, okay, they're going to stay in United Empire and we're just going to have it kind of like Bullet Club where it's just going to be across multiple promotions. They did not name a United Empire leader in those new beginning in Sapporo shows where the theory was, okay, Matt Riddle's going to be wrestling with United Empire on night two. Maybe they have Matt Riddle take over United Empire. It kind of makes sense. It is a, for the most part, a Gaijin faction and Will Ospreay was the leader and you have the natural connection with the, uh, the tag team. I can't remember the something bros, the chosen bros, maybe. Yeah. The chosen bros. Um, with Jeff Cobb. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to work that world tag league before Matt Real signed with WWE. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a natural transition, right? Uh, you just put Matt Riddle over. He won the TV title from Tanahashi. Now you're going to feature him in some way, shape, or form. He's going to have multiple tours in Japan at this point, it seems like, because of how they pushed him right off the bat. You don't have him beat Tanahashi if you don't have plans for him. That's not how that works not how you book a good show so it would make sense for him to slide in as the united empire leader but with how osprey went out nobody turned on him and he fought Mm -hmm. and he they he made the war dogs 
kill him before he got pinned in that cage match. I think that United Empire is going to be the new Bullet Club in being a true cross-promotion faction. And I think Will Ospreay is still going to head it. I think it's going to be a split from the Callis family. And once Mark Davis comes back, now you have a legit three in AEW. You still have the group over in Japan. And Callum Newman's ready to elevate into that that main eventer for that, that group. Now, he's still way too young as far as what his in-ring career is. He's just not quite ready for that spot. But I think you could push him a little bit harder than he is right now. And you can see that the confidence is building. And you need young stars. You just need it badly. You need a Gaijin star. I don't know if they believe that that's Zack Sabre Jr. They don't believe it's David Finley. And Callum Newman was handpicked by Will Ospreay, and that means something. That's going to mean something to Gato and the booking committee because of everything that Ospreay has done for them and how he basically begged to put people over. So I think you're going to start to really see some synergy there. Wouldn't shock me if that, that kind of played into Forbidden Door a little bit. And I think Osprey gets the win here. And it causes some real tension in the Callis family for a multitude of reasons. But I think it's fair to note that I, I think it was reported last week or a week before, Kyle Fletcher is dealing with visa issues and he's in Australia. Mm-hmm. So that plays into things too. But I'm really excited because this match on paper sounds awesome. I would yeah. almost prefer this to not have a big story and just let these guys have a match because it doesn't need that and it can allow them to wrestle their normal style without having to worry about playing into anything. Go out and do shit. And I can't wait. Like, AEW needs one of these matches on every show. And when you have arguably two of, like, the top 10 to 15 workers in the world in the ring at once, oh, buddy, get the popcorn. Next up, yeah, I, I think this match will roll uh, two fantastic, fantastic workers. Um, I'm at a 10 as well. Uh, I also suspect that maybe we'll see a, a move to separate Osprey and put him opposite the uh, Callus family, but I guess we will have to wait and see. Um, Next up is for the TNT Championship, uh, Christian Cage will defend it against uh, Daniel Garcia. This is another one where I just think the, the winner's predetermined, and I can't go higher than like a seven because the... The story here is obviously Adam Copeland, and they intertwine Daniel Garcia enough into the story, but he's not a linchpin. He, you could take him out of the story, and it's fine. He doesn't have to be there. To me, that spells disaster for his shot to win, but I think this match could be really, really good, and I think this is going to be a pivotal match when we look back in 20 years of Daniel Garcia's career. This could be that star-making performance where... Everybody knew this guy had it, but then he had this match. And it, it turned the page. And he came out to the world as this big star. And it was that moment. Like WWE emphasizes moments way too much. And everything is for a moment. It's not to tell a story, it's not to pay things off for the fans. We want to create a WrestleMania moment. 
I think this could be that for Daniel Garcia to a point because those who aren't super smarts like we are, we already know who Daniel Garcia is and we, we think he can be great. But your average fan who does not talk about this show on a podcast, who does not get themselves involved in Discord servers and talk about it incessantly online, the people that just want to watch the promotion get the pay-per-views every now and then and just enjoy professional wrestling and stay away from all that stuff, this is going to be that moment where they realize Daniel Garcia is that guy. Mm -hmm. And Christian Cage, I think, is going to do whatever he can to put him over. I still think Christian Cage is going to win, but Garcia is going to look like a monster, and he's going to make Cage kill him. And I'm really excited for that standpoint, but I just feel like the match isn't in doubt, the result. So it's hard for me to get super, super invested, but it could be really good, man. Christian Cage is doing the best work of his career. And he's in his early 50s. Yeah. Uh, let me pitch you on something where this could, where I could possibly uh, put this up in the air for you, the result. I'm going to go with an eight on this. I think it's been built well, but I feel like Daniel Garcia was kind of slid into it late, which kind of, you know, hurts the, hurts the build a little bit. But I think they could have a really good match. Um, what if Adam Copeland comes out and costs uh, Christian the match? Okay. Just floating it. So um, let me let me poke holes in your logic because I, I get where you're going with this, but Copeland's end goal isn't just to beat Christian Cage, it's to beat him for that title. Yeah. If Cage doesn't have that title anymore, doesn't that logically not make sense for Copeland? Yeah, let me let me be clear. I'm not saying that it's the most likely or the most logical finish. I'm just saying that no, it's I'm hundred percent blaming you for this, Fred. Okay, this well, is your fair. fault. Yeah. Everything's my fault, you know, just you got to track it long enough. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's the most logical ending, but it's on the table, I reckon. You could do it. Oh, it's um, 100% on the table. I'm just trying to... I don't think it's the most likely result. Though. Yeah. But I do think that if Daniel were to win, it'd have to be some kind of finish like that um, for it to really fit into the storyline they're telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this will be great. I mean, Daniel Garcia has, you know, really been elevated by the uh, C2 and everything that has come after it. And it's cool to see him be featured like this. Now, mm -hmm. uh, I, I do, I will note quickly that I think it's uh, it's a little funny how, uh, I'm not, not ha-ha, just interesting. But I, I, if you ask me, I would have put Ricky Starks as more of a can't-miss prospect over, um, over, uh, Daniel Garcia. I like them both a lot. I think they're both future stars. I just think Stark says more definitive, you know, charisma and everything. Like he, he just feels like naturally a bigger star. And it's interesting to me because I know that he was recently the tag team champion and everything. Was it supposed to be though? Was it supposed to be? And I, I don't think that he was ever really pushed as a, uh, as a big star when they had the belt, they felt like an afterthought for the majority of that time. While they've been, I think AEW's had a really concerted effort to get uh, Daniel Garcia over. Um, now, is this because of a contract thing? Ricky Starks likes to go on Twitter and note that he's not happy. Um, just something to think about. Um, while uh, Daniel Garcia has not, Daniel Garcia is getting pushed harder. 
I don't know. These are just possibly related facts. I'll, um, I'll say this, Fred, because I think you're onto something. I also think it makes no sense. It, it's it's a weird paradigm here. But yeah, I know, right? Starks has five years on Daniel Garcia, if not more. Yeah, Starks, Starks I think is, is thirty-one, and I think Starks Garcia just turned four. Okay, so then it's eight years because Garcia's twenty-six. Twenty-five, but yes. So nine years, mm-hmm. like that's significant in the world yeah. of pro wrestling. But so, what it, I, I would think that if you had these two guys and were like, who are we going to focus on this pay-per-view cycle to try to become, make them a star that I would prioritize the older guy because they're running out of time. You know, now let's be clear. I think Ricky Starks has an easy decade left on him, you know, especially if you remember that ladder match where he wasn't having anything to do with that ladder. Well, <laughs> um, we also have to remember he had that broken neck. Yeah. A couple, like a, what, like a year and a half ago. It was that, a bit ago, maybe two, two and a half. Might have been, yeah where he kept him out for three months, but it was like a, from how they kind of describe it, it was a very good broken neck where yeah. I think it was just like a hairline fracture and they just had to let it naturally heal. No surgery, mm-hmm. no, um, no fusions, nothing like that. Like that's about as good as you can ask for, for what a broken neck is. Yeah. And maybe that plays into it because I think, at, well, at that so. time, I think he was a lot closer to being that huge star than he is now. Yeah. Hangman broke his neck like that, the similar injury, if I recall correctly. Did he? Uh, I thought he did. Was that during his ROH days? No, no. That was uh, early AEW between. Uh, am I? I, I think you, I might you, be might be Mandela, you might be Mandela affecting yourself here. I really thought that he no, he was the one that hurt that caused Ricky Stark's broken neck. So who was I thinking of? Huh, I'm gonna wonder about that now because I swore that there was some other top guy in AEW that had recently suffered a broken neck in the past few years and just got pushed like normal when he came back, but it was Trent not Beretta? his backstage. Not Trent. Trent Trent's a mid carter. Trent's a solid mid carter in AEW. Well, you better yeah, hurry I, up and figure it out. Or I don't know who it was. Again. Yeah, well, I got nothing, so we'll just move on. Uh, I do think this match will rule. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So, uh, speaking of matches that should rule, uh, because I, I love this card, and this could be easily a one of the best pay-per-views ever, uh, just because that's what happens with AEW pay-per-views for the most part. They have great yep. matches on them. Um, we got ourselves Meet Madness. Um, and uh, currently announced for it, and there's going to be more, I'm sure. There's probably one or two tonight on Dynamite and then some on social media. Uh, but currently announced are Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, and they remembered he existed, Lance Archer. Listen, I don't think this match is over yet either. I think they're going to add more people. Three guys in Meat Madness, that's not enough. No, and- you, got, you need more meat. That's not mad at all. Yeah. That's maybe but- a mild case of delirium. I want them to add Minoru Suzuki. Oh, that'd be great. Oh. Uh, it's, I, I will say, I think the door is closed on Minoru Suzuki as a great wrestler. It's great to see him. Yeah, well, no, it, but that's the thing. He doesn't need to be a wrestler here. Yeah. All he needs to do is throw bows. That's it. Throw bows. Yeah. Um, I think You know who would... I'd love to see here? Who's that? Yuji Okabayashi. Won't happen. No, probably not, but that would be cool. Uh, I would put Yuji Nagata above of, uh, Suzuki, I think, at this point in time, as far as like old New Japan guys I'd like to see in the spot. And I think he'd fit in reasonably well. I mean, he's a hell of a chopper. Um, 
or Ishii. Ishii would be even better. Um, when does New Japan Cup start? I think it starts the anniversary show, the 6th. So you could bring in New, Real yeah, New I think Japan Town. I think so. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I was going to suggest... Oh, uh, you know who could rise, uh, make his uh, seemingly once upon a year... I'm getting a mild push appearance here. Is uh, John Silver? Ooh, as a meat division small representative. Okay, just a thought, you know. No, I, I I like where you're going here. I think that that lends itself some credence. I don't know if I'd want to hear. Uh, well, actually, I would want to hear. I don't know that I'd fully agree with uh, with uh, uh, Joe Lanza's response if it is a. <laughs> Oh God! I want to hear Joe Lanza's response. Um, uh, the butcher. You could toss the butcher in there. Ooh, know? I like the butcher. Uh, the blade is, of course, another one you could toss in, just because you know he's not. I wouldn't call him a natural for this, but you know, um, Dutch. I think Dutch could uh, be a guy in here and uh, get balloon guy. Yeah, send for the balloon. Um, kill switch, I reckon. Um, Think some more uh, beef to put in here. Um, Shane Taylor, Miro, Shane Taylor would be good. Miro would be good. Oh, Miro won't do it. Are you kidding? Ah, uh, you got to get Miro. Look, if the only way Miro's doing it is if he wins, you got to tell him at some point. Listen, you know, you got. We, we can either sit you home or uh, a little surprised we haven't heard from Preston Vance yet. That's a possibility, and uh, I'll finish up uh, this trip down the AW roster with uh, Toa Leona. Ooh. I'd love to see Toa Leone in this, but we'll see who gets added because I think it's going to end up like five or six guys. And uh should be a lot of fun. Should be a fun little match. Um, and then finally, our last match. Did we even give scores on that one? I'm at an eight just because it's big guys slapping meat. Six to ten. Six if it stays a three-way. Plus ten if they funny. add some more quality guys to it. I can't you really. can't, I'm sorry, you can't call it meat madness with three dudes. Yeah, I, I agree. That is just meat delirium. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe meat sweats at most. Oh, um, meat sweats is good. Uh, but our final match on this card is a tag match between Blackpool Combat Club. So that's Mox and Claudio against FTR. Uh, they've already had some really good matches this year. Tyler, where are you? That's a great question. Um, pro- I'm going to an eight, but if we get to see Mox bleed from being just beaten the piss out of by uh, Dax, where he just punches his head so many times he bleeds the hard way, I'm at a 12. Uh, I don't really know what this feud is. Like, and let, let me kind of elaborate there because. Sure. The Blackpool Combat Club started this whole thing by coming out and saying, hey, we'll fight anybody. And FTR answered. It's been really good so far. They've made it very engaging, very interesting. But outside of, hey, we're just going to call out the whole roster and somebody comes out. I'm not really sold on this feud currently having a direction, but I think we're going to get one in this match. Because for me right now, it's just... I'm better than you, asshole, and I'm going to show you. That's And I think that's great for now, but I want to see how this is going to progress further because you know this isn't it. So I'm intrigued to see how this is going to develop. 
to me, that's the big key here. How is it going to grow and develop? If we get some answers there, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting things moving forward. Overall, I think they could deliver a four and a half, four and three quarter star match. And if they get a little too indulgent, maybe they go five. This has an incredible ceiling, but Mm -hmm. I want to know what this story is developing into because that's the big key for me. What is this story? Why are these guys now going to continue feuding? Because I don't have that right now. And the way my brain's kind of processing this, I'm not fully invested until I get that answer, but I have to watch the match to get it. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, the biggest question I have about this card isn't so much like if the matches will be good because I have faith that like virtually every match on this card, I think literally every match on this card will be good if given sufficient time. Um, but that's the question is how are they going to distribute time for the show? Because this ain't WWE where you're going to have yourself, you know, uh, a four hour show with four matches or a three hour show with four matches or whatever Elimination Chamber Perth was. Uh, which just sounds like a disaster uh, to try to sit through live. Uh, AEW is just go, 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 go. We'll give you like slight video packages once in a while, but that's it. And uh, maybe a couple short promos. But these pay-per-views are largely all action. And I think mm-hmm. it's um, really interesting to see like how they're going to distribute minutes. And also, you, I assume, you know, they haven't announced anything for zero hour, which is really zero hour and a half. But, you know, there's going to be 30 minutes of just panel talking at a minimum. Um but I think that there's kind of a question about um, exactly how they're going to distribute time. And that's that's going to be interesting to watch this time around. Yeah. I'm really excited for the show. It's Yeah, I gonna, think it'll be great. It's going to be a great palate cleanser. I mean, everybody that listens to the show regularly knows how I covered the NFL for a living. And it's we get a scouting combine. So... My YouTube channel, we're going to be putting out like probably like close to like 10 videos and then all my written stuff. And then this is going to come right at the end of it. So the combine is going to basically end and then I'm going to get this as a palate cleanser. And that rocks. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, it uh, should be a lot of fun. Well, Fred, that's our show. We apologize for not being able to get it done before Dynamite, but... As Fred will tell you, high school kids are much more important because he does the quiz bowl thing, and that's going to be really cool. College to this see. time. College. Oh, this college. Time. Oh, yeah. oh, it's the co-eds. Oh, never mind, Fred. Never mind. Um, and that hopefully that goes well for him. And the combines this week. Can't wait to watch uh, like twenty-two-year-old dudes run around in Under Armour spandex. That'll be a lot of fun. And we will be back next week to review the show. Yep. Hopefully, and Monday we'll or Tuesday. Talk about- and I do want to talk about the Observer Awards. I'm just running out of time here. Uh, I think there's some wild stuff to talk about in this batch of voting that uh, I think will be interesting. But, yeah. There's one thing that's not wild. Will Ospreay is um, building a case to be considered the greatest wrestler to ever live. At least in ring, yeah. yeah. Um, I think people are going to hold drawing against him until he can prove otherwise. But, you know, on a, on a bigger scale. But, you know. I don't know. It, drawing is going to be incredibly subjective. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I, I almost think you have to air a compare at this point for drawing because of how the damage that WWE has done to professional wrestling in this country. Will Ospreay has drawn very well in Japan. He's drawn 
extremely well in Europe, considering what the scene is. He is the reason why they're drawing as much as they are. And you come into AEW and you headline all in and you you deliver an attendance of like 80-some thousand again. Uh, come on. Like, now we're going to be cooking with gas. Plus, if the infusion of Osprey all of a sudden spikes business with uh, how, how show attendance is right now for AEW, that, that could be a feather in his cap. But you can't compare it to guys like Ric Flair. The wrestling business is just so incredibly different for a multitude of reasons. So for me, it's going to be an era-adjusted thing. Like it, you could even argue, like with WrestleMania, that All In is going to just sell out because of the inclusion, of, or like just because it's at Wembley. But I do think that the addition of Osprey last year sold like three or four thousand tickets right off the bat the second they announced his name. So I'm just, I, I don't know. That that's a talk for another day, especially because mm-hmm. Osprey's only 31 years old. Yeah, it's amazing how stupid young he still is. But he's on a trajectory to be considered by some of the greatest of all time. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to get out of here. So I hope you all have a good one and uh, talk to you next week. God bless. Take care. And Odie's done barking. Thank the Lord. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.